I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Hey folks, before we get started today, I just want to uh, give you a little heads up that the audio quality is not uh, the best for this episode. Unfortunately, we were having some technical difficulties and we had to record on cell phones and other various um, apparatuses Uh, so the quality is not the best but please bear with us and um, we're doing our best to have better quality for the future all right thanks and enjoy Uh, this week we're talking about the topic of sex uh, which I think is probably one of the most asked about topics that I get as far as how do I talk to my kids about this? Um, what do I say if a question comes up? Uh, and I think it's sort of the the kind of stereotypical, like, you know, kid, parents get caught off guard with question or like that, that you know, sort of taboo, like the talk whole, which is silly because really it shouldn't just be one one sit down conversation I think but um but it, but that's how we think about a lot of these things sometimes like it's one com- a one and done conversation and then we never have to talk about it again um which is funny because we don't do that with anything else right we don't say well these are numbers okay uh, next um I don't know it's weird anyway uh so now uh I have some awesome guests with me this week I'm very excited about so I am going to uh invite them to introduce themselves. So we're just going to go with our name, our pronouns, where you're from, and what your connection with kids is. And we could just go down the line, starting with Anastasia, I guess. Okay, great. Um, My name is Anastasia Higginbotham, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I've lived here since 93. And... um, my connection with kids is I'm a parent and also an author and illustrator of children's books that I created called the Ordinary Terrible Things series. And my third book was Tell Me About Sex, Grandma. <laughs> yes, amazing. And what are your pronouns, by the way? My pronouns are she and her. Amazing. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you. All right, Izzy, do you want to go ahead? Sure. My name is Izzy Abraham Raveson. I'm comfortable with they and she pronouns. Um, I, where I'm from. Uh, I'm originally from North Jersey, but I now live in Philadelphia. And I am a sexuality educator of people of all ages, starting as young as two or three through adulthood. Um, And I've also worked as a preschool teacher for the past three years. Amazing. uh, Nice to meet you both. My name is Rachel Simon, and I am a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist, and I specialize in sexuality and gender and work mostly with queer, trans, and gender expansive kids and teens in my practice. I'm also in Philadelphia. I uh, grew up outside of D.C. My pronouns are she and her. And I also do sex education and consulting on the side and have a kid's sex ed book for 8 to 12-year-olds coming out next summer called The Everybody Book. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, So my first question that I always start with, and this can have to do with sex or not, um, is was there ever a time uh, that a kid asked you a question that you weren't prepared to answer? All the time. (laughs) 
One question that comes to mind, and it's definitely in all the time, is the real answer. Kids ask a lot of really <laughs> creative questions. But one question that someone asked me in my preschool class once um, is I had been telling them about my pet goldfish. I had two. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, are they boys or girls? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know how to tell if a goldfish is male or female, and they don't know or care. And he said, well, how do they pee? Well, that was a great question, and I see where his logic was going, but I, again, had no answer for him. Yeah, I think um, in my practice, the, the layer that's pretty interesting is um, what parents are comfortable with me telling their children um, in, that, in that way. So sometimes when I have a kid who's asking me about the specifics of gay sex, that's something that I, I don't know that I'm always fully prepared to answer without checking in with the parents first. As a nanny, I totally get that. When you're not a parent, I think sometimes it can be tricky when you're an educator or you're in some other position because that happens to me sometimes where kids, I'm transgender and kids will ask me about that. And I'm like, well, how much information, do you, like, you know, do you, or like usually what happens is I just sit, tell the truth like because it feels weird for me to like not I don't know I don't want to work I wouldn't want to work for people who would want me to not tell their kids that um but then I tell the parents later I'm just like just a heads up if your kid says something about this that's why <laughs> like if your kid comes comes to me and says Seth is a vulva like that's why I'm just letting you know <laughs> but it's also interesting like when they ask questions not like what information they're actually looking for sometimes isn't always the same as the question they're they're asking. I find the question of uh, what are you what are you curious about or what are you wondering about mm. to be such a powerful question for that reason, well, especially that. if you aren't quite sure if they're asking around something that they really want to know. Um, because I think a lot of parents who are you know, have the best of intentions and are wonderful um, educators hear a question and they actually want to over give information or want to mm-hmm. want to give developmentally appropriate information, but but all of it at once. And and sometimes that's not what the kid is looking for. And so I, I love the question of what are, what are you wondering about or what are you curious about? Yeah, to add to that, um, I also like to ask, where have you heard about that? Where did you hear about that? And what do you already know about that? Because um, yes. that gives me context. If I'm misunderstanding what word they're saying or why they're wondering, it just adds information before I pile on the information I'm going to give them. <laughs> I think it actually, so um, I connected with Izzy through uh, a panel that they ran at a conference that was about how to talk to kids about sex. And I don't remember if it was a story, an anecdote that you told or an anecdote that someone in the room told, but it was about someone uh like the kid asked if they could it was a little girl and they asked if they could be a male person yeah yeah well they asked yeah yeah that's the story yeah yeah so it's a person that I, I still know she's an adult now um but yeah she asked her dad if a male person could be a girl um and he launched into a lot of information about transgender identities and hormones and finally she said no dad I just want to know if a girl can carry the male and so that's an example of of getting context before answering I collect those stories now that's not the only anecdote I have that illustrates that point I really uh, (laughs) I like to gather those stories for when I need them yeah so I think someone else was talking about um like the kid had asked about a vibrator but they meant a pager oh my gosh yeah, and the parents went into all, or the grown-up went into all details about what a vibrator is, and they were like, what? 
Yeah. There was a commercial like that, I feel like, that I saw on TV yeah. as a kid where a kid comes into the, the living room and says, Dad, what's, what is sex? And the dad gets really uncomfortable and starts trying to answer. And after a long time, the kid goes, okay, because mommy said dinner is in two sex. So... There's just yes. endless, endless puns. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, um, this is my last anecdote before I, we actually start talking about stuff, but, uh, bonus content, you know, um, when I was in high school, I was in an art class and it was first period. So everybody was like very tired. Everyone was very quiet, just working on their stuff. And, uh, I asked the teacher if she could help me with something. And she said, give me a sec. And I said, I'll give you all the sex you need. <laughs> very loudly in a very quiet classroom i was just like that's not what i meant yep oh <laughs> that uh, my poor teacher was mortified uh yeah, it was great <laughs> anyway um so i'm curious and some of you brushed upon this a little bit already but curious what uh what started your interest in in this topic of like you know talking to kids about this topic of sex and what's your relationship to talking with kids about sex some of you talked about it a little bit already but you can go into more detail Whoever wants can go. You can. I mean, you can raise your hand if you're ready to talk. I guess if you're. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So I have a master's degree in sexuality education from Widener University, and I also have worked as a preschool teacher. So um, to me, that's a really natural intersection. What I learned quickly is that to other people, it seems really odd um, to combine sex ed and working with young children, but. Uh, as as a sexuality educator and as a person who works with children, any of us who do those things would, would know that kids have questions about sexuality and even beyond their questions, a lot of pieces of sexuality, obviously not sex, but a lot of other pieces of sexuality are right in line with all of the things we teach as preschool teachers. You know, identity, gender, all of that stuff is coming about in preschool. Learning the names of body parts happens in preschool. Mm-hmm learning empathy and consent and boundaries all happens in preschool, right? It's when we learn to share. It's when we learn, you know, what's appropriate and what's not, how to touch Mm -hmm. someone, how to say no to touch we don't want. Some of the first words that young kids in my preschool learned in the baby rooms was, I don't like that or I need space. Those are two of the first phrases. So to me, it seemed really easy to integrate all the knowledge I have around sexuality um, into that preschool teaching space and vice versa. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I uh, also uh, went to the Widener program. I did the dual degree with uh, the sexuality education and also the clinical social work. So, um, yeah, I think that is a wonderful space to to learn how to educate across the lifespan. And I think working with kids um, who are exploring gender and sexuality, um, I think just developmentally, it's like, as you said, it's a really wonderful time to, to get started in building um, shame-free and really expansive and curious individuals. And sex is such an important part of a lot of people's lives. So all, all of the topics are pretty important to start young. Yeah, totally. Um, and, uh, and I took on sex because I, I'm still mad about everything from childhood. <laughs> um, I make these books that are about, you know, the, the stuff you can't really avoid from childhood that um, adults don't necessarily know how to walk you through or help you through. Mm-hmm. And 
I just was bitter about the way that I learned about sex and how dangerous it was presented to me and shameful. And so as soon as I yeah. had a chance and, you know, I have this series that I wanted to speak to children through, it was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm talking about sex. I want to address these mixed, mixed messages. And, um, yeah, for sure. De, um, t t destigmatize and also just take that take it out of that context of danger and threat and and just the idea that it's something outside of you mm. or that it's something that happens later in life or happens to you or happens to you exactly instead of something you're born with that mm. just grows in you the way everything does right it's one of those reasons why fear-based education doesn't work. I mean, I actually come to this work from almost the opposite of where Anastasia comes from. I grew up in a very sex positive family with parents who very much wanted um, to teach me about how things could be pleasurable. Um, and it was sort of information forward in a way that respected both autonomy to like, do you, do you want to talk to us about this? Do you also want to get a book from the library and think about some of these things by yourself? I mean, I think I had a pretty unique experience in that way. Um, but it really fueled that fire of myself as a kid looking around and realizing that that was not the experience of my other friends talking to their parents. I wanted to be the friend that everybody mm. went to talk to about this information because I found it so kind of amazing and thrilling. And I was like, everybody should be talking about this always. <laughs> Let's see. So I'm also curious, and this is kind of a little bit like the first question, but specifically, I'm curious if you've ever had an experience of a child asking you about sex, which I'm, I'm sure all of you probably have. Um, and how did you respond? You know, maybe was it a good experience, a big experience where you were caught off guard? I don't know. Could be either. I was definitely caught off guard. Um, <laughs> well, because um, I was caught off guard by my own brain. So here's what happened. My child said, um, told us like a, a joke that had kind of a sexy punchline, like something about sexy, that girl's sexy, something like that. And he was um, uh, six years old. He had just started first grade. And then he like made a bunch of weird little jokes under his breath kind of. And then he just turned to me and he said, um, what is sex? And it was like the the answers that came down in my head was like a it was like a google search window like from somebody else's brain <laughs> it was just like this answer came down like when a man and a woman and i was like no and that you know and i didn't say it out loud and then another one was like when two people and i was like no and then the third one was um when you love somebody and i was like no no everything coming into my mind is wrong right now and I want to do this, um, I want to do this well. You know, I want to be accountable to this kid and answer the question. So I did kind of what Izzy suggested, um, well, well, what do you know and, you know, what are you asking about? What do you, what do you mean when you say what is sex? What are you actually looking for? So I tried to narrow it down, but really that did get me started um, to do kind of a detox of my own mind, cleanse all that shit out yeah. of there, and then... Uh, start really think about what do I want my child to understand about this at this age and uh, and that led to you know all the introspection that's necessary and then you know different 
what what are my values and what do I want this child to feel free to explore and understand and be curious about and yeah well they there's this saying like the first thing that you think is what society taught you to think and then the next thing that you think is like what your actual values are you know because uh, I think sometimes like I remember times where I would be on a train let's say in New York City and I'd be like oh that person you know shouldn't be wearing that and then I'm like what the heck they can wear whatever they want Seth like what are you you know but like those things and that are in your head from you know from years of being shoved in there uh it's funny though when you catch yourself having those thoughts and you're like wait no like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> do either of you have anything to add to that yeah I mean I've been asked about sex a ton because I'm a sexuality educator and I ask, <laughs> I ask for anonymous questions after every class um so I can think of you know a couple hundred questions I've been asked about sex I think and at first, I definitely was a little bit more shocked. Um, it's har- a lot harder to shock me now. But I think in terms of how I respond or how I did respond, just like we've been talking about, it really depends on the way the question is asked and about how much information the kid seems to want to know. Like, are they asking about sex because their parent is pregnant and they want to know about how their sibling came to be? Or are they asking about sex because someone said the word sex and they have no context? Or... I can think of a time when one of my four-year-olds in my preschool class came up to me with a really sneaky look on his face and just looked at me and said, sexist. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, sexist. And I said, what is that? And he said, sexist. It's when you get married. And so <laughs> to me, that was pretty clear that he was just looking for a shock value, right? So I'm not going to go into a whole talk about what sex is because that's not why he's bringing this up. He's just sort of being like, what's a grown up going to do if I do something you're not supposed to do? So then it was more about boundaries and pushing boundaries and me just showing him that I'm a safe person by not having a reaction and not going off on mm-hmm. it. I was like, Oh, thanks for letting me know, you know? Um, <laughs> so it just really depends on what I'm, the vibes I'm getting from the, the kid and what they're looking for. I mean, someone recently asked me, I thought this was a very sweet question, but somebody recently asked me, because um, we'd been talking about sex. It was fourth and fifth graders, and we'd been talking about sex, and a lot of kids were asking questions about how babies are made, how a sperm gets to an egg. And you can see this kid, the wheels are just turning in his brain, and finally he raises his hand and says, well, if you want to have a baby, but you don't really feel comfortable doing that, can you go to a doctor's office to do it? And so this kid is just, what they're wondering is, like, do I have to have sex? Like, do I have to have sex in order to be a parent? That seems weird and gross. So in that case, I'm really just going to be reassuring that you never have to have sex when you don't want to. You know, you, you learn to sort of read the question behind the question. And, and honestly, that, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing this, Anastasia, but that was my, one of my favorite parts of of your book of telling about sex grandma was that there's a part that's like you don't have to do it if you don't want to mm-hmm. i've never seen a book that was like and also there's an option to not do it right yeah and i you know i just like i love that being a part of the conversation i feel like a lot of times grown-ups forget about that part of the conversation mm-hmm. because you're th- thinking about the positive it's like what is sex how does that work and you're not thinking like oh also not obligatory right <laughs> <laughs> it's very bizarre when people say to children, you're mm-hmm. going to want to do this someday. It's just like, are you kidding me? They're, I mean, there's something violent about putting that in a child's head when they didn't 
ask Definitely. for it. And it's, I think that's so important for a number of reasons. One, about being respectful of children and the fact that that's not where they're at. So why tell them where they're going to be at when, instead of just letting, but also, you know, asexual people exist and there are plenty of people in the world who decide never to have sex or who never have an instinctive desire to have sex. And a lot of those people spend so long feeling broken and sick. Mm -hmm. And so it's so easy to just throw in that little piece of just, it's, it's your choice. You never have to do it. And that just makes room for so many more people's experiences to feel normal. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. And I also love, you know, that so love in a sarcastic way that, um, what Anastasia was saying about how it's like really, it's not great to put that into a child's head when that's not where they're at. And yet those are often the same people who are, who are saying for so many conversations, that's not something you need to know right now, or I'll tell you when you're older. And, you know, it says much more about our culture of sexualizing young people without actually giving them the tools to understand themselves sexually as, as, as asexual or sexual beings and kind of coming to an understanding of themselves and their own um, development. It's, it's like the, the war between people who want to give kids way too much and things that are really inappropriate for them to handle, but also never enough. Yeah, it's definitely a balance. And it's definitely like we were talking about, about giving the right amount of age-appropriate information and the information that they're looking for and all of, all of these different things. It's funny, I actually completely forgot about this story until we were talking about this. But um, my experience of not knowing what to do in one of those situations was when I was in high school, I was teaching, I was doing like an aftercare program actually for the elementary school that I used to go to. So it was like kids... <clears throat> whose parents couldn't pick them up right after school. And so we'd just play and help them do homework and things like that. And there were, it was like two little boys who were left and they were probably, I don't know, in preschool, kindergarten, they were pretty young. And uh, one of the parents was there to pick one of them up, but we were talking like, you know, the teacher and I and the parent were all talking and the two little boys were playing. And I turned around and they were on, like, you know, to tell the one it was time to go. And they were on top of each other on the floor. And I said, hey, what are you guys doing? And the kid on top looked up and said, we're playing mommy and daddy. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, like, I just had no words. I had <laughs> zero words because I'm like a high schooler. These are not my children. Like I have, I'm just like some high school, you know, paraeducator. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to. So I just like ended up telling the principal, like, just in case this is like a warning sign for something, like you would know better than I would. Like you interact with this kid all the time. Um, but it's, there was, there was that. And there was the time where a little girl, I was reading the very hungry caterpillar and a little girl started masturbating in class while I was reading the very hungry caterpillar. And I was like, I don't know if that means I'm doing a really good job or a really bad job. <laughs> Can't tell. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. That reminds it, me yeah. of like a different category of question when thinking about things I'm not prepared to answer. Um, there's questions I'm not prepared to answer because I, I feel uncomfortable or because I like, yeah. don't know how to word it, but then there's questions I'm not prepared to answer because I, I disagree with the societal rule too. Like I, mm. I, I'm thinking of kids and this has happened many times. Why can't I be naked at school? I'm just like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> because someone made that up. Like, I, like I, you just, I don't like, I just have no ability to like, I'm like, well, bod there's nothing wrong with bodies, but you can't show your your body to someone unless they say it's okay. And even sometimes when they say it's okay, you still can't because I, I, I don't know. And I've said, I've like said that to, I'm like, I don't know. I don't really know if it makes sense, but 
the rule and sometimes we just have to follow rules I guess which I, I so that's another kind of question that sometimes I'm unequipped to answer it's like I don't know how we I don't know I think it's so powerful, though, as an adult to be able to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. like, because I think kids think that adults have all the answers. And I think that it's really powerful to be like, I don't I don't actually know why. Or like, even sometimes I'll be like, I don't know, let's look it up. Like, maybe not in that case, but yeah. with certain <laughs> questions, I'm like, I don't know, let's, let's look it up. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I love that uh, framing because it's so different from, it's just the way it is. Mm. I, you know, I don't know, or, you know, we might have to do a lot more thinking about this, um, is such a different uh, rule of engagement with kids than, um, you know, because it is, or because I said so, which is so, uh, such a shutdown. I also like the idea of what we were talking about a little bit earlier when you don't um, Anastasia, you were sort of talking about when your your brain was doing that little Google Google search, mm-hmm. and I I think it's also interesting. Sometimes we forget that we can just say, you know what, I need to think about that a little bit, and we can and you know what, I'll come back to it when I don't really have an answer right now. Because sometimes we get caught off guard, and then we just say a bunch of stupid stuff mm-hmm. that later we have to like retract and fix. <laughs> yeah, and it builds so much trust too if you tell your yeah. kid or a kid that you're in a relationship with like. I'm not sure I'm going to come back to that. And then when you do come back to that, you're showing them, like, I really spent time thinking about your question. I really care about your yeah. question. Not, I wasn't just using that as a way to get out of answering. So yeah. I think that's, like, really powerful, yeah. too, to show your kid or any kid you're talking to. Like, I will always be there to answer your questions, even if it's not right away. Yeah, absolutely. And it says, this is important. This is a, this is a great question. It's an important question. And, um, yeah. and I don't want to yeah. blow it. Mm-hmm. So give I me love a minute. That. I think there's all of these things that we like allow kids to do right like if a kid needs to take time answering a question we're like fine but as adults we feel pressured and i'm like no like we can take all of these things and we can still use them mm-hmm. oh my gosh um but anyway i'm i'm curious also if any of you are comfortable sharing personally uh your experience as a kid uh learning about sex and what that was like good experiences bad experiences i love um i i would love to share an anecdote <laughs> a little bit because when when izzy was talking a little bit about um public and private and and naked bodies and not naked bodies. This is such family lore in, in my spouse's <laughs> family because when he was probably between three and four, he was like very verbal um, and, you know, learning at a totally developmentally appropriate rate about, um, you know, his body and he would take his penis out a lot um, and in public. And so this was my, my mother-in-law's uh, moment to explain the difference between what is public and what is private. And this is, you know, early, very early in the, in the nineties. And, um, you know, he's taking his penis out in public. And so she had to discuss with him, you know, that his, that his penis is private and that that's something that's okay when he's in private and at home. And, um, he was very thoughtful and, and she said that he was listening and nodding a lot. And he thought for a second, and you know he was contemplating this idea of private versus public, and he said, "You know, mommy, my penis is public." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that is that is one of my favorite stories because I think you know he really considered, and he and he was like, "No, my my penis belongs for everyone. Like this is this is something that like the world should really just be a part of with me because it seems pretty cool to take out." Um, <laughs> 
and <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think, um, you know, like I said before, I grew up with a very um, progressive and communicative yeah. and sex positive um, set of parents myself. But I think one of the ways that the intent can almost go um, almost be go in a negative direction with that as well as I was I was very much encouraged to masturbate as a small child and I also had a moment where um, I think I wasn't understanding the difference between public and private on that one as well and that was a very interesting conversation that my parents had to have with the school. <laughs> I feel like I learned about sex as a kid almost entirely indirectly like almost entirely mm. through like my detective work of like hearing innuendos <laughs> and being like, well, why is that funny? And trying to guess. And so I, I have a lot of memories of that, of like hearing a phrase, seeing someone react to it. So then I was like, oh, someone reacted, that must be sexual. How is it sexual and what does that mean? And I can think of so many, t like in third grade, I remember there was a big phase of the boys calling everything perverted. So whenever someone called something perverted, I have an opportunity to be like, okay, so that is related to sex. How? And then I, I and and obviously, that didn't give me great information. And I like I can think of another time when I was listening to the musical Hairspray, and there's mm. a don't drop the soap joke in the lyrics, mm. which is really messed up. But at the time, I didn't know that was sexual, so I said to my dad, "What does it mean? Don't drop the soap?" And he just looked at me and said, "I can't talk to you about that." So that was all I needed to figure out that that was sexual and then try to work backwards, say, yeah. what does that mean? So it's a really odd way to learn about something, um, but I feel like that was a big part of it. And also from the internet and even things like Neopets chat rooms. And, oh my God, Neopets! Yeah, yeah, Neopets was a great education in many ways uh, <laughs> about banking and, and many other things, but... Um, yeah, I would read these things that were clearly jokes or puns and just have to try to, to figure out what was going on. And that's, and I didn't really talk to any of my friends about it. So I just had this internal dictionary of what I had determined things to mean for a pretty long time. <laughs> that's great. I, um, I, the innuendo sounds right to me and the, the detective work. Um, Playboy and Hustler was around, so I learned a lot from those too. And I learned to associate the female body, that female body, mm. with sex and arousal. Mm. So that's kind of interesting to me, too. I'm just like, those magazines <laughs> turned me gay. <laughs> you know, in a, in a, because it was, it was like, that is sex and sexuality right there. In that body, in this body. And... Uh, yeah, so those, and, and also, I feel like I learned a lot from the way that men looked at me, even when mm. I was really, really mm. young. It creeped me out, and I was like, there's something about this that is sex, and I'm not sure what I owe this person, but, you know, there was, that, the information comes that yeah. way, too. I also, yeah, when thinking about that, I think I was really scared that sex is something that could happen to you. That was, mm. I remember, I remember mm. someone explaining around the age of, like around third grade, an adult saying, sex is when someone puts their penis in a vagina. And I was like, wait uh. a minute, I have a vagina. Who's trying to put something in there? Like, I'm not trying to put, so, so it was, this, <laughs> I like really had no yeah. context and was just very freaked out at the idea that someone might try to put something in my vagina. And I remember the same idea when I heard the word blowjob for the first time and was like 
wait, 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 wait. And no one was saying, like you said, the really great piece from your book, Anastasia, of you don't have to do that, right? That was not part of any, it was just like, this is a thing when you do this. And I was like, but when do I do that? And when why do I do, I do that? that? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and what a, what a failure of sex education in, in our society too, that when we take pleasure focus out until a later age when kids or teens are ready to be more involved, you know, we're only going to tell them about, you know, STIs and, you know, if we're really lucky, how to like prevent STIs in pregnancy and, 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 you know, like other, you know, anatomy and, and menstruation and puberty. And when we leave pleasure out of it, entirely or Anastasia's important part about like you don't have to do things that don't sound pleasurable mm-hmm. to you because you do get to choose things that are pleasurable to you and your body and that's what sex can be um it you know it really loses the factor of huh maybe I would be interested in that one day yeah yeah or like I don't have to think about yeah, it for another second it unless it becomes interesting you know what I mean I don't have to like yep. sitting there like thinking yeah. like yeah. like a blowjob like I don't think so <laughs> it's just like that can right back out of my head. Still sounds terrible. Very bad. bad. I just remember the only, there are two things I remember from my sex ed experience. One of them is being terrified about STIs. They just Mm -hmm. like showed us all these horrifying pictures. And I remember like we had someone come in maybe from Planned Parenthood or somewhere to, to show us this terrifying slideshow. And afterwards I took the person aside And at the time, I was not interested in sex at all. And I asked, you know, the teacher, I was like, is there any way I can get STIs without having sex? And they were like, just don't have sex. And I was like, great. I'm not planning on doing that. So I guess I will never get an STI. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Also, my my mother, she doesn't listen to this, so it's fine. Um, (laughs) She scared the crap out of me, basically telling me that I, it was possible to get pregnant without having sex. Which there is like, you know, maybe on a technicality, <laughs> but like, you know, I was absolutely terrified. Um, oh and, my gosh. and that's something that I think about a lot too, as an educator, because I actually had a, I think a pretty rare sexuality education experience where I was introduced to a lot more than most people are. Like mm. my sex ed teacher talked about dental dams and she talked about mm. masturbating to make period cramps go away, which really blew my mind. Um, and she talked about a lot of kinds of contraception and we touched condoms and things like that, but she wasn't nice. (laughs) Like she wasn't, (laughs) and she didn't seem to want us to experience pleasure. You know what I mean? Like there, it was like more information than most people get, but still missing that piece of, and I want you guys to be happy and comfortable. There was none of that. It was just like, I am a nurse, so you should know about these things. (laughs) But I was still terrified. And so it's helpful for me to remember that more information doesn't necessarily equal comfort with the topic. Mm. You still have to, you still have to treat it with, with warmth and positivity. Like this could be a happy thing to talk about. That's so true. And I think that comes from a lot of times adults comfort with, again, this level of like discomfort about talking about it. Yeah, it's it's like a weird cycle. And maybe they've not, and maybe they've not had pleasure. Yeah. Cause like think about what the, what they were taught or what was left out of their education. It's just like the more you can speak from experience and be like, well, it can feel amazing if you know if you want that and whatever. What you you can find out for yourself how it feels in your body and 
but if the person teaching you is operating from that same lack, mm. it just gets passed along. Yeah, for along. sure. So I'm, I'm curious, we talked a little bit about the experience that we've had answering those questions, but for people who might be listening going, okay, all of this is great, but when my kid comes to me and says, what is sex? How do I actually answer that? Um, I'm curious, like, what some potential responses, ideas for responses you might have and how that might change, you know, depending on the age of the I'm child. I'm so excited asking. to hear everybody's response. <laughs> I'm sure we all have our good answers. <laughs> I want to hear yours. Okay. I can start. Um, I always say, well, I shouldn't say always. It depends on the age. But generally, I'm thinking elementary school. Um, I say something like, sex is some combination of body parts that feels good uh and sometimes i add like it often utilizes genitals which are penises and vulvas it often has something to do with hands or mouths or butts but it can really be any body parts touching any other body parts in a way that feels good and that's pretty much where i stop unless they have follow-up questions which they often do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good one how about you Rachel um, I, I, I would echo everything that, that Izzy said I think that something that I always keep in mind is um, sex in our, in our world has so many different meanings so I like to also check in and see like mm-hmm. do they mean sex the act mm-hmm. do they mean you know what they've heard about um, sexual intercourse Um, Do they, you know, sex is so many things. um, And what does that, what does that mean to them? Um, Yeah, so I think when I think about what is sex, I want to know what, what is he said before about what they know about it and what they've heard about it and what they're wondering about. Um, But you know, once we figure out if they're talking about the biological sex, the body parts of the chromosomes that people have, or how babies are made, or physical acts of showing love and feeling pleasure and closeness, um, and, you know, sexuality can be um, a totally different group of concepts about how we feel about our bodies and what choices we make and, and who we want to be close to or intimate with, and and even the emotions we feel about that. and. Um, yeah, so I think that that's such a big question, yeah. but if they're asking about sex acts and sexual intercourse, I would definitely, um, use so much inclusive and neutral language, uh, like what Izzy was talking about, about involving genitals and closeness with the genitals and, and pleasure and things that feel good and sometimes to, to make babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my answer in the book, once, once, uh, the child finally insists that grandma just like, all right, just tell me. And um, grandma's answer is, it's a thing with bodies moving in a way that feels good, by yourself or with someone else. And so it's, it's, uh, it incorporates what, what you were saying, Izzy, and then it, because that page doesn't even happen until about tw- page 26 or something, it incorporates everything you're saying, Rachel, about the, uh, um, let's be clear about what are we talking about here. I want to make sure I'm answering your particular curiosity and not um, just filling in where I don't know where I'm going. Oh, I was just going to address the part about um, 
developmentally what kids can understand because you know these conversations I think that when people think of like the talk and this one talk that happens for like a thousand minutes I like to tell parents that I work with you should be having a thousand one minute talks Mm -hmm. instead of one one thousand minute talk but um (laughs) you know for everybody's lack of torture. Um, But I think developmentally, when we're thinking about what kids can handle, um, parents and caregivers and teachers and people and nannies and people who are around these kids kind of know a little bit about what kids are able to comprehend at certain ages. But there is sort of a skeleton around, you know, really young babies and, and body parts and really young preschoolers and boundaries and really and consent and, um, you know, a little bit older conceptually can, you know, think about body changes and puberty and, um, you know, abuse and, and masturbation. And, and then when they finally get to a place where they're thinking about maybe their own sexual choices, I think there's sort of a way of addressing um, kids at different ages with where they are. Definitely. Um, I was going to say that in my in the follow-up questions is usually where I get the opportunity to add that piece we were talking about, about like, and you never have to do any kind that doesn't feel good. Because when I say like sex sometimes involves genitals or butts or hands or mouths, a lot of the kids will go mouths or butts. And I have to go, yeah, you never have to. Some people do. You never have to. Um, so that's also part of what I always try to throw in there is like, there's lots of choices. And if any of them sound gross to you, don't do it. That's all. <laughs> That's so awesome, though, because when you say it that way, then they, if, if they find themselves doing something with butts and hands or whatever, they can be like, hey, <laughs> Izzy said this was part of it. This was one of the choices. And this is the one I want to choose right now. So. It's, I'm, a, I'm imagining it like, uh, like, you know, those little... Um, like things where it would be like a person's head and a body and no legs and then you could like switch them. I'm imagining yeah. it like hand to butt, butt to mouth, mouth to like. Exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> a little to game. Yeah. Should be fun. Yeah, it's like a choose your own adventure. That's like exactly that. what it is. Yes. yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, so Rachel talked a little bit about this, but I'm, I'm curious. Some of these... Uh, some of these answers, I feel, these questions, I feel silly asking. Um, but do you think that kids can understand the concept of sex? <laughs> Everyone's nodding. <laughs> Great for this audio medium. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think the piece to add is what Rachel was saying, which is like, kids can understand, mo- I think most kids can understand most things, mm-hmm. but they're not going to understand them in the same way as maybe adults do or as older kids do. Like, they're gonna, like a, a young kid can understand that sex exists and is something mm-hmm. older people do. And then a kid who has gone through puberty or is starting to feel arousal or feel desire is going to understand why people have sex. And so that's a really different kind of understanding, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need a four-year-old to fully understand why people have sex. That's like not mm-hmm. important to me. Um, but I'm fully confident they can understand that, yes, bodies can come together and make a baby or certain body parts feel pleasurable to touch or things like, I mean, kids obviously understand that because they're touching their body parts. So, um, I think there's the, yeah, they don't need to understand every piece at every age, but there's always a piece they can understand. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's it. That's the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, and that was one of the things that I loved about, originally when you had given that that talk was like the idea that you can make anything age appropriate 
I really like that idea um, yeah, that you I can really find a that. way to make anything age appropriate. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, um, <laughs> my, my next question is, uh, I think that there are, when we, I feel like even though there's discomfort about talking about sex, I feel like there are certain, just giving a, a basic definition, you know, the textbook when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it always starts like that. Um, I don't know uh, why either. Uh, it's so uh, gross. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so much to unpack. We don't have time. <laughs> Just, oh my gosh but I feel like even though there's discomfort around it people are a little more comfortable with answering that question than they are with certain other things uh around sex and so I'm curious how we could you know if a kid came to you and asked about masturbation or a kid came to you and asked about sex toys um you can answer one or both of those or so- something like that that maybe is a little more taboo-ish um you know how how do we explain something like that to maybe a younger kid I don't know if I would want to explain it. I think I would want to ask them, because if a really younger kid is asking, I don't, I, I'm doing the thing. I'm like, I need a minute. <laughs> well, yes, you see, you're, you're putting it into use. But I think, I think <laughs> assuming that we're starting with a baseline of asking, of figuring out what their actual question is, and that is their, you know what I mean, of like, if we made a little yeah, flow chart like, you and the beginning of the if, flow chart is, right. you know, what's your question? What do you know already? And mm-hmm. we've already done those things. I mean, as a... Right, right. And so if a kid wants to know what, what is masturbation or am I do is, is what I'm doing called... What is it called? I mean, I, I will say that as a preschool teacher, we have to talk about masturbation with three, four-year-olds, three and yeah. four-year-olds, like pretty constantly because they're doing it all the time. Um <laughs> I, so yeah, right. I mean, rest time is a is a time when kids get on their cots and start touching their bodies in ways that feel good. Not all kids at all, but a lot of kids. Wow. And sometimes when one kid who's doing that is near kids who don't do it, they learn to do it. And mm-hmm. there's all sorts of politics of that. And, <clears throat> but I I think one one thing that I've learned about it as a preschool teacher is that calling it masturbation or bringing that language to it is often what really scares adults. And it's, mm. it's interesting because mm. it really is putting an adult perspective on a really developmentally appropriate behavior, mm. which is really self-exploration mm-hmm. and self-soothing. Um, mm. So I think it can be really frightening to say, like, let me tell you about masturbation and this is why adults masturbate. Right, it's like, right, that's right. just not, that's a disconnect. Right. Um, but of course, mm-hmm. in some level, it's the same. Like, for adults, it could also be self-soothing and self-exploration. Mm. So I think... Um, it feels really easy to me to address that with young kids. And just I, I like to just say, like, you're noticing, like, I'm noticing that you're noticing that some parts of your body feel really good to mm. touch. Like, can I give you some info on, on when and where to do that? Like, I'm so glad. <laughs> so I, oh, I do a lot oh. of first affirmation. Mm-hmm. Like, you are realizing this really cool thing about your body. Here's a place that you can do it. And here's reasons why you can't do it some other places. And, and I think that's really simple. Sex toys, like, to me, masturbation and sex toys seem like, on such different ends of the spectrum because one yeah. thing is something little kids are doing and the other is something they're probably not but I guess actually... I'm imagining the kid who discovers one right well no I mean it's a really <laughs> and I love them together because it's such an easy link right because once I've said to a kid you've discovered that some parts of your body feel really good to touch then I get to say like and sometimes grown-ups or older people use more than just their hands to touch those good feeling parts right they use these other tools to make themselves feel good it just seems very easy 
if you're using that basic understanding that kids already know that some parts mm. of their bodies feel good to touch, it's like, of course, we're all touching them just in different ways. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also love, I mean, just being that there's so much stigma and there's so much shame um, in the way so many adults talk to young people about um, their bodies and sex and sexuality and masturbation, um, starting with something like, hey, I've noticed that you found this, ama- like, this amazing thing out, this, this cool thing, um, frames the conversation so much differently in saying, like, and here's when and how is the best way to do that. Because saying, you know, even, even the sort of thing about not naming um, vulva and penis and instead saying private mm. parts, it, it becomes this huge um, mystery of, okay, I think there's something, there's mm. something weird or bad going on here. So saying, you know, you can do this, but you have to do this by yourself when it's not couched with th- something like, and it's so cool that you notice that is um, even with the best of intentions sort of has that shaming edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a really sweet experience with a, with a four-year-old who was in, I was in the bathroom with her and she peed and stood up without wiping. And so pee was dripping down her leg. And they said, you know, that's why we wipe our vulvas. You wipe your vulva to, to dry the pee. And she said, what's a vulva? And I said, oh, it's the part of your body between your legs. You're about to wipe it. And she goes, oh, I know my vulva. I touch it when I'm by myself. And I got to be like, that's super great. And then she was like, let's touch it now. And I got to be like, no, not at school. And then we just moved on. And it didn't have to be, you know. So funny. Oh, oh yeah. I know it. That's <laughs> like, I, didn't, I didn't know the name, but, but now that you tell me the name, I'm familiar. No, all about it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I guess you're like, that's yay, good for you. That is yeah. beautiful. So funny. Yeah, and I, I love that too because when we're thinking about one of the first things that we teach. Um, young kids, especially when we're moving towards like the the actual names of their actual body parts, um, you know, there's an ankle and there's an elbow and there's a vulva and it makes it so much easier for kids to Mm -hmm. communicate um, when something isn't going okay, where, you know, parents don't often know how to ask, but if you hurt your elbow, you can say, oh my God, you have a boo-boo on your elbow. Like what's going on? And we can talk about that. But if you hurt your vulva and you don't have the the knowledge of that, or, or unfortunately in cases of abuse, when somebody else has heard of vulva, you know, we definitely want to have the language so that kids don't feel like that's a secret. Yeah. And also they, they say in cases of, you know, abuse that a lot of times if, you know, grownups will tell kids to use different words for mm-hmm. their body parts. And so it's good for kids to know that if all of a sudden they're calling it their pee pee or something cute. So you could say, hmm, like, where did you, where did you learn that? Where did that come from? Yeah. And also kids get misunderstood when they're using cutesy nicknames. Like yes. I, I've heard horrifying stories of kids <laughs> trying to tell someone that about abuse situations oh and being misunderstood because they're using the word kitty or whatever other nickname. So the adults aren't hearing what they're actually saying. Mm. And it's also just like, we don't do that with other body parts. Right. It's, it's very strange that we have like 10,000 weird cutesy words for our genitals and we don't it's not like you call your nose something different for the first five years of your life and then it becomes a nose Mm -hmm. that's very it's all very interesting how we interact with with those parts of our body like societally and with the words too because um like I specifically did not use the word masturbate Mm -hmm. in my book because that I don't even like the word I don't even like to say it like I yeah. It's not a very pleasant like word. sounding word. And is I, it? Ugh, it doesn't sound as good as it feels, you know. So, um, so I just, you know, I had the kids say, "I have a sex thing I do in mm-hmm. private." 
moving so it feels good or you know I, I forget yeah, yeah that's what, that's like what that. they say and um, because I I and you know and there's a later part in the book where it talks about I wanted to address incest but I didn't mm-hmm. want to use that word you know so there are certain words I left out but I kept the meanings in so there would be so it would be more plain mm-hmm. and um, and the words wouldn't scare yeah. everybody you know so I like the way that um, Rachel and Izzy and, and you, Seth, are talking about how just the ways to simplify it and, you know, times when it needs to be the right, the, it needs to be the, the word, the term. Yeah. It's really useful. And other times where it just needs to be Yeah, understood. that actually brings me to, what if we're are talking, we talking about slightly older kids, as a sexuality educator, I was trained to only use medically appropriate language and not use slang. But that actually is really not helpful if you're talking to middle schoolers or teenagers or people who are using the language they use, right? Like, I'm not going to get them to start using medically correct language just because I tell them to. Like, they're going to use the language they use. So I have to be able to talk to them in their language, right? Like, Mm. if they're saying dick, like, I need to be able to say dick and I need to be able to answer their question about a dick without correcting them and saying, like, that's not correct. But I also need to make sure they have access to the language that will be understood elsewhere. So if they're using a slang word, I might say like, I might answer and use their language and say like, yeah, and at the doctor, the doctor would call that a penis just so that they know if they're in certain situations and need to be understood, they have access to that language, but there's no moral high ground, right? Of like (laughs) using biological language instead of the language that their peers are using. So I also don't want young people to feel bad about using whatever language is available to them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that too. When I'm teaching high schoolers, um, I often will actually couch that and talk about levels of language and levels of terminology and say, there's the scientific medical language, and then there's everyday language that we use, and then there's sort of um, euphemisms that are little kid friendly, and then there's slang. And all four of these levels of language are, are okay to use in here because, you know, we're not going to always use urinate. Sometimes we use pee. Sometimes we use take a piss. And sometimes we use pee pee. Like all of these levels of language are, are ones that we can sort of code switch. And now it's time for some announcements. Hey folks, thanks as always for tuning in. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far and I hope you're enjoying our new uh, segment, Rated Well and Room to Flow. Uh, we're really enjoying making it, so I hope you're enjoying consuming it. So really, the biggest announcement this week is uh, don't forget to sign up for our winter book giveaway. Basically, all you have to do is go on iTunes, write a five-star review, assuming that uh, you think we're worth a five-star review. I certainly hope you do. Um, and you just take a screenshot of that review and put it on our Facebook page. So on our Facebook page, there's a post, you'll see it. It says winter book giveaway with a big picture of books. Uh, And you just comment with a picture of your screenshot of your review and you'll be eligible to win a free kids book. We're sending those out um, by the 15th is the end date for that. So now until the 15th um, and just telling you, not a lot of people have applied so far. So you've got good chances of winning. Um, so definitely go ahead and do that. There's not much in the way of announcements today, just the usual. As always, you can follow us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can reach out to us, um, radchildpodcast at gmail.com, 
before on the website, www.radchildpodcast.com. And also, if you're interested in being a guest, please, please go on the website and or contact us. Um, there is information about how you can become a guest. All you need to do is fill out a quick form. And if I think you're a good fit for an episode, I will reach out to you. We recently updated our Patreon, so basically you can donate as little as a dollar a month and receive some really awesome rewards, things like bloopers, um, access to our Discord server where you can chat with other fans, uh, as well as me, I'm on there sometimes, um, you can get things like care packages, you can uh, get things like uh, kids books every couple of months, uh, I'll send you a book that we talk about on the show. You can even get personalized book recommendations from me for the kids in your life, so you'll tell me a little bit about the kid, uh, and I'll give you book recommendations. You can really get some awesome, awesome stuff, so definitely check that out. Um, all right, that's it from me. Uh, now you can hear from Crystal and Rebecca about uh, Shift Book Box, and then we'll get back to the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So I'm curious about, we were talking a little bit about this earlier, but um, like, how do you respond to the idea, you know, if other adults say, oh, that's an adult, that's an adult topic, sex is an adult topic. Um, and do you think that there's any benefit to withholding information about sex from kids? Everyone's shaking their head now. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you can't, you can't say something is an adult topic when it's, it's happening for the child yeah. already. Like, just like you said, your, your preschoolers in your classes are engaged in a, in, in a sexual relationship with themselves. And um, with, whether we name it or not, whether we explain it or not. So um, as if, and, and like, when is an adult, when is a person an adult? Mm. 13? 17? 28. I mean, I'm 48 years old, and I'm learning things about myself as a sexual person that are brand new right now. And that's and I make sure my kids know that it's a lifelong yeah. thing. It's it's in you from birth. It's in you all the way till you die. And and it's in old people. It's not. It's not. It doesn't ever go away. I mean, it, the 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 actual feelings and expression can ebb and flow. Um, or never be particularly interesting to you at all, but it's there.
I just, again, I think that there's this weird thing around sex specifically where it's like, I can't think of another thing like off the top of my head that we just don't talk about until a certain age. And then we're like, now we're going to give you all this information. It's like very wild. (laughs) Well, anything, anything in that instance, I think race is a good example because we do, we think we can hold off. Mm. Having conversations, yeah. Until what? Until they can understand. You know, like Thanksgiving mm. is coming up. That we're like, are we going to tell them? Right, especially with <laughs> white children. What's, What's that? Especially with white children. Well, you you know, you don't need to know about. Yeah, like as if we need to protect white children and Jordan. <laughs> and 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 we do. Yeah. That's that is what people do. They protect um, one group and imperil the other. And, and and other the other. So it it's it's just this in this um, refusal, I think, on the part of the grown ups yeah. to grow up. Yeah. The one I mean, I think of course, you know, sex and sexuality and gender all of these things are experiences that, that kids are having from a very young age. The one caveat I think to, to the wording of this question is what we were talking about before, you know, the only benefit to withholding some sexual information is the information that the kid is not asking yeah. for. The kid is not yeah. the, the, and I mean, when I say that, I mean, you know, there are plenty of things that you should be talking about before the kid knows how to ask. But, but what I mean by that is that if you are oversharing information in a way that could instill that kind of fear, or I'm not ready mm-hmm. for that kind of mm-hmm. um, knowledge that sure, there's, <laughs> there are some situations where I do actually think it would be okay to say, you know, you'll understand a lot more about that at a later time, or, you know, when you're curious about that, we can talk about it again mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think it's, it, it's not a question that I would be allergic to like, Oh my God, there's, <laughs> I want to share it all like right now because of my stuff, I would want to make sure that the kid is, is specifically, um, you know, ready in the way that they're getting the important information and also not being overwhelmed by stuff that they, they don't want to be talking yeah, totally. about. I think, yeah, that's kind of related to what came up for me when reflecting on what, like, basically I was thinking, are there adult topics? Do I believe that there is such a thing as an adult topic? And the closest I could come to were, you know, topics about violence or things that are really scary mm-hmm. or traumatizing and then I was thinking, why, why would we be putting sex in that category of violence? <laughs> like, right? Like, and yeah. even, even violence we talk to kids about in different ways. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, like, that is something I would withhold some information about. Because I don't want a child living in fear of the bad things that can happen to them. So, like, sexual violence or rape is something that I'm not going to give a ton of information to a young kid about. Mm-hmm. Um but why would the rest of sexuality be mixed up with that? Like most of it is super fun and yeah. easy and joyful and just like so not scary or violent. So that, that was just helpful for me to be like, oh, yeah, I think we think it's an adult topic because we really lump it in with things like, you know, even in even in school, like we lump it in with like drugs and drinking and driving and all yeah. of the bad things that can happen to you. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so, again, something that's happening to you. Right, something that's happening. It's a bad to you. thing that could happen to you. Right, like someone's gonna to peer pressure you into doing drugs and then having sex and then getting in a car with a drunk driver and like <laughs> that's bad. Like, yeah, that is bad, but like that's that's not it. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. And there are ways of talking about things like rape culture and and you know, risks associated with certain sexual behaviors without making it so 
you know, it's, it does get lumped in with the, the pleasure aspect and the exploration aspect and the identity aspect. There's so many different things that sex is about that I think, yeah. um, you know, of course there are some topics that are, are developmentally appropriate at literally every age and other ones that kind of convolute the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so going off of this, I think it's funny before I was really like thinking about making this a topic and I was, I was thinking about, um, cause after this month we're doing, uh, I always have two episodes every month. So we're doing sex and then the next episode will be about conception and pregnancy. And before I really thought about that, I think we like convolute those topics a lot. And I'm curious if you think that having conversations about conception and pregnancy is sort of the same as having conversations about sex or vice versa. Does those conversations need to be the same conversation? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes me think of Corey Silverberg's book, what makes a baby, which just love that. Which, yeah, book. I love it with all my heart. Book it has it's no so sex good. in it, right? There's just zero information nope. about sex in that book. But I feel like people hear a, a book called what makes a baby and they think you're talking to kids about sex and it's like, Oh no, actually oh. that doesn't have to be part of it at all. Um, but then if you Google best kids books about sex, this book comes up on like every list. And I'm like, this book isn't about sex. Right. Right. It's zero to do with sex. Right. <laughs> However, the kids, when you read it to kids, it's pretty likely that the last questions Those that questions, give you a yeah. pretty open opportunity to talk about sex if you choose to, which is kind of what Anastasia was talking about, the branches. So yeah, definitely not required. But I, I love that kids will then say, well, how do the sperm and the egg get together? Mm-hmm. And you get to offer, like, there's actually multiple ways. One mm-hmm. of those ways is that certain kinds of sex can bring a sperm and an egg together, and other ways are through science labs and doctors. And then the kid can kind of choose which line of questioning to continue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely related. Um, and pregnancy and conception are part of sexuality, right? Like, I think most of us probably don't just talk to kids about sex. We talk to kids about sexuality. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it definitely doesn't need to be part of the same conversation. Yeah, I feel like when I was a kid, I just got, I got a conversation about how to make a baby. I never got a conversation about sex. Like I got whatever book it was. Oh gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could remember which one it was. There's like, you know, the five and they're basically all the same and they don't include any, (laughs) you know. Um, And yet there's one, there's a horrible one. Which one? Where, it's called, Where Did I Come From? Oh, I gotta go look at it now. (laughs) I'm writing it down. You do have to look at it. It's horrible, but it's like, it's trying to do what, it's trying to do the thing and the, but it's so gross and they, it shows the picture and um, the, the, the guy and the woman are like in the bed and the language is I so nasty. I think that might be the one I got. Now I need to look <laughs> it up. I'm looking it up right now. I need it, to know. It is so it would ruin sex. Forever. Oh, wow. Sex. Yeah. yeah, it has that. Powerful. Oh, my gosh. I'm yeah. looking it up later because I feel like I just remember. But it's this it's print. Specific... It's sold so many copies that it just makes I remember me this stomach. like specific picture from the book. So I wonder if I could get the it was that scarring. Um, I wonder if I could like get the illustrations if I would know. Oh. I'm going to need a follow up on whether this is the same book. <laughs> from, I'm looking up right now. Oh, I do not want a video. Um, <laughs> oh. oh my God, I think this was the one. That's amazing. 
Anastasia. Yes, it has this like weird chubby baby on the front. Oh my gosh, look, Anastasia has it. You found it. Yes, it has the weird chubby baby. <laughs> Don't make me look at it. Oh god. Wait, can you me. can you show me the picture of the? Yes, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> So that's the book that I got. Oh, oh it's so, it centers the man. Well, I mean, everything about it is wrong. Here's, here's, um, and one of the lines is, this is the closest two people can wow. get. Oh. Yeah, no. See, that's another, we haven't even quite touched on that. I don't even remember what question we're supposed to be answering right now, but that's something that I think about a lot with um, ch- young children and affection and love and how we talk to them about those things and you know it's it's finally trendy to talk about like don't make your kid hug your grandma or oh god but i don't i mean but i think we don't always like trace out all of the ramifications of that of of saying to our kids like if you love grandma this is how you show it you show it with a hug you show it with a kiss and not just grandma but lots and lots of people and then there comes a point not that long after that when we say like okay now you can love people but you can't touch them like don't touch the people you love and then we switch it back again and it's very confusing and we're saying like we're saying to girls in particular like say no like you can love a boy without having sex with him he's gonna want to have sex with you but say no but at the same time we've spent i don't know 12 years telling them that if you love someone you give them access to your body and love is touch and like that's the same thing yeah and i think that's one of the more dangerous messages that i see perpetuated among young kids like much before they're thinking it through like the logical conclusion so that's what that line makes me think of is this no. is the two the closest two people can get. Like, why would we say that to a child? Like what does that yield later when we're saying like, Oh, you wanna be close to someone? Here's what you have to do. It's terrifying. And that that's actually a perfect segue because my next question is how would you t- define consent to a child? Mm. So my children's book that I haven't talked about yet, I should have should have said it in my <laughs> intro. <laughs> I've heard such good things thank about you. your children's book and seen oh, it. It's amazing. You. Oh my gosh. Tell <laughs> me about this book. So my children's book is called The Great Big it's Hug, amazing. and it's specifically um, addressing boundaries and consent with young children. The Great Big Hug specifically addresses consent from the perspective of a potential harm doer, um, but obviously we want to address consent from all perspectives of someone who could have boundaries violated and someone who could violate someone's boundaries. So I think it's really important to be talking about both of those things and not separated by gender. Um, so every one of us is someone who has boundaries that we deserve to protect and also someone who could accidentally hurt someone. Um, I could talk about this for like an hour. I'm trying to think about what actually is important and not just like <laughs> rambling on about consent and children. Um, but I think, I think it's really easy for kids to understand why consent is important without ever having to use the word because they all have bodies and they're all fight figuring out like what feels good they don't want to be hit they don't want to be poked they do want to <laughs> wrestle but only like this and it's just being around young yes. children is a constant constant opportunity for really intricate and complex consent conversations like tickling and laughing mm-hmm. but saying no at while laughing like that's a really interesting thing to talk about someone being chased and yelling no but wanting to be chased but not sure if they want to be chased and <laughs> They like it right now, but they don't like it one second later when it goes too far. Like, there's just endless opportunities yeah. for negotiation and practice saying our boundaries and practice respecting other people's boundaries and practice reading body language, especially before kids are verbal or very verbal. Then we get to read their facial expressions and we get to read, um, yeah, their body language. And so just as the adult around them, it's just about using those opportunities and, and narrating what they're doing and giving them 
more tools. So I love when a kid, you know, a kid will be hugging another kid and the other kid's crying and I get to say like, hey, look at their face. Can you tell if they like this hug? Of course they, like, of course they can tell. Kids are really smart. The kids will be like, oh no, <laughs> they don't. So then we get to go from there. So I think the vocabulary is kind of all they're missing, but, but it's a very easy internal sense of it's good to treat people well and I want to be treated well. I love that. And I love, I think sort of combining my last question um, is sort of how do we model that as well? Um, so like, how do we define consent and how do we, to, to children and how do we model consent? And I think one of the best things that I love to do is I love to say, okay, like, you know, a lot of times parents will be like, oh, Seth's here, like, go hug him. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. Like, if you want, you could give me a friendly wave, give me a fist bump, or you don't have to do anything. Like you could smile, like there are so many options. And I even, we, um, Rad Child has a coloring book and it's, it, there's one page that's like that. It's like, there are lots of ways to say hello, like do whatever feels good for your body. And it's like high fives and waves and you know, all, there's so many different things. And I think I remember the first time I was working at a museum at the time, a children's museum. And I remember the first time I saw a teacher, like tell someone like, Hey, you don't have to hug that person. And I was like blown away by that. Because I remember years of being traumatized by, no offense to my grandparents, but being forced to kiss my grandparents. I, I like, hated it. I didn't want to be touched as a kid. I did not like being touched. And I remember being forced to do those things. And, like, I recently, I was, um, I work at, like, a space teaching art, and I was talking to a parent there. And we were having this conversation, and they all think that I'm a little, like, um, you know... I don't know that I'm some special snowflake uh, for ha thinking things like this. I'm sort of on my own island there. And uh, mm -hmm. a, I was talking about this and the parent was like, well, you know what? I mean, I had to have those terrible experiences. So my mm -hmm. kid's going to have those experiences too. And I was like, why would you want your child to have the same bat? Like that, there's a disconnect there for me. Like, I don't understand that. Sure. He was sort of like, I had... Yeah. That's commitment. It's so strange to me to, be, to like force him to like kiss and hug his, you know, family members. I just thought that was such a strange, I don't know. I was like, if you had a bad experience, wouldn't you want your kid to have a better one? But that's the thing, like that, I mean, that's a, a pretty explicit awareness of that. But I think usually <laughs> we do it by accident. Like all yeah. of this stuff is just this generational trauma mm -hmm. being passed down because we were hurt. So we hurt our kids and we hurt each other. And yeah. like we were, our, our parents were unequipped, so we're unequipped and it just keeps going. And it takes yeah. a really conscious decision to break a cycle like that. Not just a decision, but a ton of work and a ton yeah. of, of help. Um, so I have a lot of empathy for, for adults who struggle to change this stuff because of course they were hurt. Like, how are they supposed to just figure out how to do it better with no examples? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm sitting here with three people who have written books about this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, that's why we're like, a lot of people are just like, we need to create the content mm -hmm. to help give people tools. Because th when there's, I think that all of a sudden we grow up and like, we're supposed to just know a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how are we supposed to know a bunch of, no one ever taught me how to make a budget. <laughs> Now I'm just supposed to know how to budget? Like, no one ever taught me how to do, you know, to have conversations about this stuff, and I'm just supposed to, like, know how. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think it's really amazing now that a lot of people are creating content and doing things. Um, and I think parents are so comforted when you say that to them. Like, oh, it's not your fault that you don't know how to do no. that. I actually do a lot of workshops with parents about how to talk to young kids about sexuality, and that's always the first thing I do is say, like, 
the very first thing we're going to do is, is a reflection activity about what did you hear from your caregivers and how did it affect you and what do you think went well and what do you think went poorly? Because how can you possibly do it better than that just by yourself? Like you can't, it's not your fault. We're all so confused and we're going to yeah. work on it together. Um, I think that's like a big relief. Yeah, for sure. Um, so does anyone else have anything to add to the consent conversation about how we have that, you know, how we maybe word that for children as far as like, what is consent and, um, any, uh, how do we model that? <laughs> Everything you said already was so perfect though. Yeah, I can't I wait to listen to it over again. Uh, I feel the same way. I mean, I think that, um, one thing that you know, stuck out from what he was, Izzy was talking about and, and sticks out um, currently in thinking about how to model consent and how to define consent is that empathy is such a strong, um, a, a strong thing to help sh build and shape mm. in children and that we can model that all the time by sharing with kids um, when we say no to something, mm -hmm. what, what that's about and, 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 you know, teaching how to respect that no, just like we respect their no and having that nuanced conversation about, you know, keeping you safe, of course, um, versus things that when they say no, or when they set a boundary to say that is worthy of, of validation and respect. And, and so, so is everybody else's in, including us adults. And I think that that can be modeled in so many situations, which, which really, um, consent is is a conversation about so much more than sex and bodies yeah. and touching too we we model consent all of the time with so many other um so many other things about um you know can you put your coat on and can you share that toy i mean we really um we can think about consent as, as so much more of an umbrella. Yeah. And then yeah. maybe when we think about bodies and touching and sexuality, it can sort of be a part of that larger conversation about everybody's boundaries uh, needing to be respected. There's this really great book. Um, gosh, I don't have the author, but it's called Let's Talk About Body Boundaries, Consent and Respect. And it's like, it, it's the only book that I've ever found that kind of encompasses like all of the, I mean, it literally says it in the title, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, but the respect piece also and the like mutualness of consent, um, how it's like, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of times people kind of will sort of think that I'm silly for like, if a toddler says no, like respecting their no. And I'm like, no, like they, there are some no's, right? That like, yeah, like, you do need to go to bed. I'm sorry. But, like, I understand why you don't, you know. And <laughs> we can make some choices around your going to bed, maybe. Um, but they're, you know, if I'm, like, playing with a kid and they say, no, I will stop. Like, and if they're, and that way, I think at that young age, that's helping to develop that we don't, that idea of saying no when we mean yes that we see a lot with younger younger kids. I'm like, oh, if you say no, I'm going to stop immediately. And if you're kidding then like, tell me yes, and I'll, I'll do it again. Mm -hmm. But if you're saying no, 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 like, I'm absolutely going to stop. And, you know, sometimes parents will tease me. And I'm like, no, like, that's, I feel like that's important, because that's where we get these weird mixed signals, where like, someone's tickling us. And we're like, no, no, stop. But we really want them to keep doing it. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's very confusing. <laughs> Even as an adult, <laughs> when you're a kid, and you're saying that, I'm like, I need you to just tell me what you want, because I'm very confused right now. Um, and it is confusing to be a kid and, and not want to do stuff yeah. and have to. And then to try to understand consent. But it doesn't have to be a problem. It can just be a great yeah. conversation. It's like bedtime is bedtime. The end of recess is the end of recess. I do want you to try this 
one bite of this. Please put <laughs> one bite. If you can, you know, or like put it in, like next to your lip or like at least smell it. It's just, it's like we do, we yeah. do these things against our children's will all yeah. the time. I have to change your diaper. I have to change it right now. It's going to be quick. You know, like, so the, so it's not, it's not, it's it in in one sense it's totally easy, but in another sense there's this other yeah. these other areas of, you know, what about when I, I think don't that is the hardest part, um, and that's that's the number one question parents ask me. Parents who are already on board with the consent thing and are working really hard to respect their kids' no, and then feeling so racked with guilt when they have to physically force their kid to do something, whether it's mm-hmm. put on a coat or you know wash their hands or something like that. Um, so I, I mean, I can just offer what I use in those situations because it, it can feel so bad to be like, I'm just dominating my child right now. Like I'm just overpowering them because I'm, I have to, I have to. Um, but I think you can always explain to a child when that's happening. What, what I, what I use is when you're a grown up or when you're older, all of your choices about your body will be your decision right now because you're a kid and I'm your grown up. If you're making a choice about your body that's not safe, I have to help you be safe and I have to then make that decision for you. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to be responsible for your own body and put on clothes that are warm enough to go play outside. But if you're going to choose something that's not safe for winter weather, I have to be your grown up and, and choose for mm-hmm. you. So that gives them that choice. So like I will say if a kid is having a tantrum and, and not moving and we need to move, I'll say... I am going to give you the option to be responsible for your own body and stand mm-hmm. up and move, or on the count of five, I'm going to have to be responsible for your body and pick you up. And I always warn them. I always yeah. explain it first. And if I end up having to be responsible for their body and they're kicking and screaming and I'm fighting them, once they calm down, I'll use that as an opportunity to say, like, how did that go? Did you like that? And, and I always tell them, I didn't like that. I hate to touch you in a way you don't like. I never want to have to do that. In this case, I had to do it to keep you safe. But I really hope we can find a way next time for you to make your own choices about your body yeah. and, and be safe. So it's it's a lot of words maybe, but I mean, you can use that with hair brushing, with teeth brushing, with hand washing. Like, I just have to make this choice for you right now and, and wash your hands. But next time you can make the choice and wash your own hands. That would be better for both of us. Yeah. And even with young kids, I always, I'm a very big explainer. I mm-hmm. always explain what's going on. I have to change. I know it might feel uncomfortable, but I have to change your diaper because it keeps you clean and it keeps you comfortable. And if I don't change your diaper, you're going to get a diaper rash. It's going to hurt. Even to babies, I say this. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes just talking to them calms them down um, <laughs> or distracts them at least mm-hmm. <laughs> enough enough to change the diaper. Um, but I think even with young kids, I always just explain, right? Like you have to put your jacket on because it's cold. It's cold outside and I don't want you to get sick or I don't want you to feel uncomfortable this is so that you feel comfortable and warm when you're outside even though this was happening yesterday at my house I had a party Mm -hmm. my friend was over with their six-year-old and their six-year-old was like but I don't want to put on my jacket because it's hot in here and they're like Mm -hmm. yes but the minute you step outside the door it's not gonna be hot anymore (laughs) (laughs) there was like a 10 minute long fight about but it's hot in here Mm -hmm. um but it's you know I think just explaining as much as we can some doesn't always work but Mm -hmm. explaining those things sometimes I find is a helpful tool um, I also on the on the note of bedtime, it just made me think about there is this comic that I posted the other day. It's like a, a grown up bending down to like the, the kids level. And it says, listen to me. Gender is a construct. Society is a construct. Money is a construct. But bedtime is very, very real. <laughs> 
was like, yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, but anyway, so closing things off, um, I just am curious and we'll, we'll have time after this to talk about your, your own things as well. Um, but if you have any other resources or books or things could be for parents, could be for adults. Um, and if you have like a huge long resource list, you can absolutely send it to me and I can post it somewhere because I'm that kind of person. Um, <laughs> but if you have some highlights or things that, you know, or you want to talk about. Rachel, we didn't get to hear the name of your book. My book, book is called The Great Big Hug. Your book is The Great Big Hug. And Rachel, what's yours that's coming out? Uh, mine will be coming out in June, and it is called The Everybody Book. And that will be, uh, the subtitle is The LGBTQ Plus Inclusive Guide for Kids About Sex, Gender, Bodies, and Families. I love that. I'm so excited. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, in terms of other resources that I love, I would love to share a couple. Uh, one is amaze.org. It's a, it's a program out of Advocates for Youth that I've really been loving their content. Um, they have a lot of stuff for, for kids um, and also for parents as well, um, like fun graphics and fun videos mm. with um, animation that I think are really good. For really young kids, I love queer kid stuff. Yes. Uh, Lindsay is yes. just um, an amazing person, and um, I'm just really excited um, about how Lindsay just um, explains things at developmentally appropriate levels, and, and I find um, those videos so fun. And then the last one would be Sex Positive Families, and that's another resource um, that I, I love sharing with families and parents as well. And they often uh, aggregate other resources. So those are all the things that I'm loving right now. Is, is amaze just spelt like the word amaze or does it have anything? Just the word okay. amaze. Yeah. Amaze.org. And what's Queer Kids stuff? That's a, that's a, it's a YouTube a channel. It's a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. And those videos are for like super young kids. I mean, there, there, there are some great resources for kids of all all, all yeah, young ages. This, this awesome person, Lindsay, and they have like a teddy bear sidekick. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they talk about all different kinds of, of queer queer things. Yeah. And just, so, yeah, it's really great. I, I keep meaning to have them. They were one of the first people I actually asked to come on. And then I was like, one day I'm going to have a topic that's good for you. And I never, I never followed <laughs> up with them because I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that perfect topic for them. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh, but they're really sweet. Um, does anyone else have resources that they want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think those are all really good ones. Something else that Advocates for Youth puts out that is helpful for teachers is the three R's curriculum. It stands for rights, respect, and responsibility, I think. Um, but it's a K through 12 sexuality education curriculum. So for elementary school teachers or even parents who are maybe just looking for language, but especially for teachers, if you're looking for ways of addressing these topics with young kids, uh, it's all free for download on their website, which is pretty special. That's awesome. Um, and then in terms of books, I just want to put out another Corey Silverberg book, Sex is a Funny Word. Yes, it's just a great. great one. And also in terms of consent, I really like the book Miles is the Boss of His Body. Mm. I think it does a really good job of showing how family members can accidentally really violate our consent um, and how it's okay to, to say no to your own family, even when they're trying to be loving. Um and how to sort of make amends. It's a very sweet book. I love that. My my two other consent books that I really like are one is called C is for Consent, um, which is a cute one. And then No Means No is another is another good one. That one's by, um, what's her name? Janine Sanders, I think. 
but yeah, that's that's one that I like. And a sexuality educator, um, Mary Jo Putgurski, she is from my hometown, Washington, Pennsylvania, and she has a whole series called no- Nani Nani Talks About. Mm-hmm. Right? Nani talks gender. about consent. Nani talks about gender. Nani talks about disability. She's um, that whole series is wonderful, and you can go really in depth. And there's, um, you know, workbook style. Yes conversation pieces and everything. And there's also now, I need to find it, as I was sort of doing some research today, I stumbled upon this YouTube channel that is this this woman who basically does reviews of like every sex ed related book there ever was for kids. Please share that. Yes, I need to I need to quickly find it, but it was really good like as I was she doesn't read them but she goes through them and sort of explains like this is maybe what this one is lacking and this is you know this one's from the 80s so it's not updated or this one you know those kinds of things cuz which mm-hmm. is kind of um I feel like the answer with a lot of those a lot of the older the older books like um what's the name of that one like it's not the stork or it's perfectly normal that whole series where it's like Good for something. If you pick and choose some oh, pages, it can be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, on page 26, Roby just uh, messes, just totally conflates gender and sex, the definitions of gender oh and gosh. sex. And I'm just like, ah! Uh, yeah, great, great books for a lot of other purposes, but that's one of the yep. reasons that I. There's also mine. a new one that came out that's um, UBU that is really really good as well that one has a lot to do with it's a little bit older um but that one has a a lot about sort of everything to do with it's like there's gender in there there's some sex in there there's body stuff there's sort of a lot of different stuff in that book now i want to try and find this um there's also another one that's it's gonna bother me that's by the scarletine person which scarletine is also just a great resource but she just loves yeah scarletine is great about or something does anyone know what I'm talking about? I can find it. No, yeah. It, and I found the YouTube channel. It's called Sex Ed Rescue. Mm. And it's and it's this woman who basically does all of these, um, Just she just goes through and gives sort of reviews and shows you pictures of all of the books and for basically any age level, including ones for adults. But it's really, it was really, I, I sort of fell into a YouTube hole today watching them. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, if you if you can't find information right now, also if you want to send, or if you're looking now, that's fine too. I'm looking now, but uh, Anastasia can share resources while I. Or did you already get to share your resources? No, I that's don't okay. have any. You, I mean, you I, you <laughs> all those sound wonderful. Already. Okay, yeah, the new Heather Karina book from Scarletine is called Wait What, and it's a comic, and it, I guess it's for slightly older kids, but it's like another puberty book. But I just trust her. I haven't read it. I just What's trust up? Her. Who's the author? Heather Karina. Karina? Karina? Who makes Scarletine? Scarletine's cool. Oh my gosh. So many. I mean, this is great. This, I feel like this is the most resource-heavy episode I've ever... <laughs> we're, we're on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's funny. I actually, today, when I was reading... When I was watching this YouTube channel and looking at all this this woman's stuff, there was one... There's this book. It is from the 80s. It is called A Kid's First Book About Sex. And it, it's literally not available anymore. You can only, on the author's website, you can download the PDF, which is what I did. But it's, like, surprisingly 
ahead of its time. Like there are, I like that I could print it out because I could just print out certain pages and be like, oh, these pages are maybe no longer as relevant. But there was like even a part where it was like talking about nudity and bodies and it was like, yeah, for some families, like nudity happens all the time. And for some families, nudity, I was like, I like that you included a piece about like nudists in there. Like some <laughs> families are just naked all the time. You're right. And like not even, you know, in different cultures, right? There's different values about about nudity so I appreciated there were and there was a part about masturbation in there too that I was like I'm kind of impressed that like this book from the 80s it was one of those books where someone was just over the current books that existed so they made their own um which I feel like is a lot of what's happening now <laughs> I'm sure that's what I <laughs> well no we're adding to a lot of great books that everybody yeah. just mentioned well I, I feel like publishers are finally I, well I feel like now that they realize that they can make money off of these books they're willing to publish them um but I'm, you know, I'm happy that uh, that they're starting to exist. <laughs> so um, last, but of course not least, and you talked a little bit about this already, but just so I can have it in one concise little segment, um, do you want to talk about your own stuff, books? You could talk about your books or th- what what you do, if there's anything else that you want to plug as far as things that you do. Um, so as I mentioned, I have a children's book called The Great Big Hug, um, which was illustrated by my friend Todd Hall about consent and boundaries for young children. Although it's not really about consent and boundaries, it's a story and it explores consent and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's available uh, through Mascot Books, the publisher and other places. Um, And I also do a lot of trainings and workshops. I'm available for that. Um, I do, as I said, workshops for parents and teachers on how to talk to kids about sexuality and their bodies. Um, I also, on a more unrelated note, <laughs> do workshops for people of all ages on fat phobia and body liberation. That's awesome. Um, thank you. And on diet culture and how we talk about food, um, as well as some other topics. <laughs> well, I might so. just have to have you back on when we talk about that then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd love to. Um, yes. And so I uh, have a kid's book for probably ages seven plus, depending on the maturity of the kid. It's uh, not a picture book. It is a sex ed book. Um, It's about 90 pages, fully illustrated by a wonderful artist. um, And their name is Noah Grigny. um, And they are fantastic. And they have worked on some other wonderful um, gender diversity books. um, And I'm really lucky to be able to work with them. So the Everybody Book, the LGBTQ plus inclusive guide for kids about sex, gender, bodies, and families will be um, out in June 2020, and I'm really excited about that. And um, I do uh, some consulting work as well, um, speaking to organizations, other mental health practitioners, parents, schools, uh, teachers, kids about gender diversity, gender expansiveness, and everything LGBTQ. Amazing. So um, so my book about sex is called Tell Me About Sex, Grandma, and it's one of four books that I've done. The, the others are Divorce is the Worst, Death is Stupid, and Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. And um, so each of these takes on a topic that... Um, you know, with sex, death, race, and, and divorce, uh, that really invites kids to see themselves at the center of their own story. And the one about race in particular, not my idea, is the most recent one, uh, invites white children to really engage with the experiences that they're having as um, 
as part of a culture that has deep racism and the white supremacy is broken down in a way that they can relate to and understand some of the history that's involved and really step into the legacy of anti-racism and, and feel good about it and belong to that instead of being alienated about conversations by about race, but really take it on and take responsibility and be part of it. Yeah, that was something that we uh, we did. Uh, I did a series on race uh, a month or so ago, and that was something that we talked about about my friend who is black was like you sh- you know I made a joke about like how it's I feel weird talking about race and they were like but we sh- you should be talking about the worst conversation that we can have about race is like not having one at all you know because um we're afraid sometimes especially like white people I, as a white person I feel you know afraid like I'm going to say the wrong thing or it's not my place or it's this and that but it's like yes educate yourself maybe before you say the things um but you know, I think sometimes, unfortunately, the stuff needs to come from the majority community um, for people to hear it, which, you know, as allies, I think it's really important um, to educate ourselves and remember that. But anyway, that's another topic altogether. So that's, I mean, that's it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. I'm Tom. I'm Will. And we're the hosts of Blasting Off Again, a new Pokemon podcast brought to you by the Upford Network. We've decided to take on the task of watching through every episode of Pokemon, providing live commentary and in-depth analysis of everyone's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon. We're tackling the hard-hitting issues. Is Brock racist? Was coughing the first ever suicide bomber? What are the environmental implications of using Pikachu to power a building? Will Misty ever get her bike back? Find out the answer to all these questions and more on Blasting Off Again. Available on the Upford Network, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're We're blasting blasting off again! Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes. And I'm James Hughes. And we're political. We host Canada's Young Leaders, a show on the Upper Network. For our second season, we are looking at this year's federal election and talking to young candidates from each of the major political parties about their views for Canada's future. So for insight into the debates being held at the highest level of our country, tune in to Canada's Young Leaders every Monday on the Upper Network.